Hello and welcome to University Challenge, the podcast that challenges a notion that to have an interesting, rewarding, successful career, you have to go to university. In this episode, I'm joined by Louise Clark, who is Chief Mischief Maker at the Curious Lounge and Director of Connect Thames Valley Tech. Now, when Louise changed her name at the age of 12, it was clear she was destined for a life of disruption. In this episode, we talk about how her path of learning through experience has led to her challenging the way recruitment gets done, taking on Tech Nation on the behalf of Thames Valley Startups, and now creating a dedicated space where people from all walks of life can build the digital skills capital they need to succeed. We also talk about what it's like to run a business with your partner and how to stay sane, whether our own experiences of education shape what we want for our children, and how bringing public and private sector organisations together can feel like getting a cat and a dog to engage in the conversation. I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please share it and please leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Thank you. Thank you, Louise, for agreeing to come on the podcast. Um, Funny how life works out. We've been talking for a couple of years, four years. I think green meets grey, wasn't it, when you were one of our judges? Yes, yeah. Oh my goodness, that was a long time. Festival of Digital Disruption. Yes. I remember now. Yeah. yeah, when we were in a room and allowed on the stage. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, so this is about you anyway, not about me being on your stage. Um, Louise, for the listeners, could you please tell us your full name? You don't have to include your middle name. You might if it's interesting, you might like to. Um, and what it is you do today. So I'm Louise Clark. Um, I'm Louise with a Z, but I wasn't officially born with a Z. I um, put an e- I, I was an S, and then when my mum wouldn't let me change my name at twelve, I added the Z in. It's been my rebellion ever since. Very small. <laughs> um, I wear lots of hats, but they're all about creating new pools of talent for people. So either through events or through courses, and we also have a skills hub in Reading Town Centre. Okay, and the name of that hub is. It's the Curious Lounge, a place um, to listen, learn and meet. Brilliant. Um, just say one thing you said right at the beginning there, that, that Z, so did you change it by deed poll? No, I haven't. It's just it's stuck there. And because I've got married, divorced and remarried again, people can still find me with my different surnames with the Z in there. Ah, I love that. So you've been, um, and if I were to look at your official job title, not official job title on LinkedIn, it says Chief Mischief Maker which I mean that's kind of like what I would like to be when I grow up um so that's always been there then you've always had a sense of your own destiny and carving things out I think it's my dad's fault my dad always taught me that um not to challenge your challenge shape but actually you don't have to just accept things and you can question things I think I've always had that slightly not rebellious nature but he's definitely instilled that in me Fantastic. Um, well, this will probably inform your career story then. So tell me what your memories are of secondary school. So I thought secondary school completely got in the way of my social life and spending, <laughs> hanging out with boys. Um, I didn't, I attended school, I did okay, but I just, it didn't inspire me. Um, you, can, you know, I, I did well in French and art because I really liked the teachers, whereas I found most of it was just people droning at me, didn't engage me. Um, and I loved running. So I, I, we had a really great sports teacher. But other than that, I just just felt like I was wasting my time, really. Well, so running and painting 
and speaking French. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then when you came to sit your exams, uh, how did you get on? Can you remember? Um, so I got an A in French. I got C's in everything else. I can't remember the subjects I studied. I was trying to think about this the other day planning and I got a D in maths. I mean, my mum gave me extra maths lessons and I just didn't gel with it. It just didn't make logical sense to me. Whereas I think if I'd have been shown why I was learning it, it probably would have meant so much more to me. So I did average. Um, I don't think there was any expectation from my parents about what I was going to do. So I didn't feel any pressure. It was just kind of turn up and see what happens, <laughs> which isn't probably <laughs> the best strategy. And, and I was also the first year GCSE. So we were in that experimental pool of, yeah. which actually the coursework really suited me exams and all the pressure just is not my superpower no and so when you're so you're in that experimental year actually so it was GCEs before wasn't it is that right was it O levels GCEs GCSEs maybe it was always GCSEs but my memory of back then I've blotted a lot of that out to be honest yeah um and how was it kind of set up in terms of what happened afterwards so were you told you need to think about college and uni or you need to go to work was there any steer from your teachers or parents on that front teachers I don't remember any steer at all although I think they were very obsessed with sixth form which I knew I wasn't going to do because I was out okay. of the gates the minute I could you know <laughs> down the road um I <sighs> My parents actually encouraged me to do a lot of temping work. So it was in the days yeah. when you could literally wander into a temping agency. So yeah. every holiday I had, I worked and I went to all different places. You know, I did things from binding accounts at what was, um, is now Deloitte, but was back then. Um, I did court, uh, logging in the magistrate's court. I did, ad wow. I just went everywhere. And I think for me that opened my eyes to there's this whole world out there. But I think mm. I wasn't quite ready to be a proper grown up and work all the time. So mm. I took the decision to go to college. Again, that wasn't really my parents. I think I just thought it might be fun. Mm. It's a bit more grown up. Um, but I maybe hadn't finished my education. Okay. So I went and, yeah. college and studied business and a BTEC in business and finance. Okay. And did you complete the course? I did. But I have to say most of my education was down the pub playing pool. So I think, you know, we all got through it. But again, I kind of I really loved the marketing modules. The whole year yeah. failed the accountancy module because we had such a bad I mean, literally the whole year. So right. I, I don't know. I think I. I passed. I, I can't remember what the grades were, but I remember they were quite good. But it just again felt like mm, not really for me, this educational stuff. Mm. And so you finished with your, um, you got your BTEC. Yeah. Got some first lot of GCSEs. All the employees are going, well, I don't know what that score means. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what happened from there? I think I just wandered it again into a temping agency. So I thought, you know, you know, no one in our family has ever been to university and still hasn't been to university. So I think, you know, they're from working class backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, my both my parents both came from council house. It's all about earning money. Yeah. So um, university definitely wasn't a thing. And I think if I look back now, I probably could have gone and had some fun because I don't think you actually need to attend too many lessons. So I maybe missed out there. Yeah. Um, but I, I just wandered into a temping agency and went for some interviews. And then I think I took the first job I got offered because I thought, you know, this will do. And so I had no plan. I think I just thought I'll go and see what happens. But I was very motivated by money. Yeah. And um, so your first job 
where were you working then, your first full-time role? So I went to work for Raycal Radio, so it was a military comms company, very male-heavy. Um, I started off in the uh, Middle East team and then the war happened, so our team got disbanded within the first month. Right. So I then moved to the sub-Saharan African team, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, yeah. I mean, it's all older men, travelled a lot, mm-hmm. um, but actually I quite enjoyed the, just looking at the international piece. And this was but from the UK? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you didn't get sent out to sub-Saharan <laughs> Africa. Frustratingly, really I just got to the point where I probably was going to go and I just thought, oh, no, I don't want to work with a load of old men. And I look back, like Namibia, I still want to go to because that really yeah. sits well with me. I love the people there. So, yeah, missed opportunity because I, I, I think I could have actually had not a bad starting career. I was there 18 months. Right. OK. And what prompted you to move on to your next role from there? I think it was looking for something that didn't just have old men. I mean, it was in the days when people sat and smoked at their desks. So the guy that yeah. sat in front of me had white hair that was actually yellow. And oh. it was just, I don't know as a young person, this is what I want. Yeah. Um, so again, I just, I think I quite liked the sales and marketing. So I wanted to find a role that looked like that. Um, mm. So I ended up working for a company that put holes in metal. Okay. <laughs> so, which I, I actually really enjoyed, and I still have really fond memories because they were really supportive. And I yep. spent my life kind of wandering around, finding holes in things. And you know, we had a contract with McLaren, so I got to go and see some really cool cars. And because um, you think, oh, holes in metal, really boring. Yeah. And Roberts Radio were one of their customers. So, yeah. Sort of, uh, very trendy now. I know. I know. Yeah. I wish I'd kind of bagged a couple of the metal grills because they'd probably be worth something now. Yeah. Um, and that really did give me, they, they were, I had a hugely supportive boss in terms of getting me on the sales and marketing journey. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really loved it. But I think after a while, I did get a bit fed up of all the oil. You know, when you're tottering through the shop floor. It's like, yeah. yeah. But um, it was good. I, I, yeah. And again, a different industry, fairly male dominated. Yeah. Um, okay. So you've got <laughs> military... <laughs> Metal, McLaren's, <laughs> yeah. ray, radio, um, and then what? Again, I kind of thought I quite like sales and marketing, so I'll find another sales and marketing role. I think yeah. I definitely had bought my first house by now, so I, again, I was quite motivated to pay my mortgage and yeah. buy stuff. Yeah. Um, again, I, I don't even know where the job came from. It would have been through an agency, because I think everything back then was through an agency. Yeah. And was working back in um, it's orbital so it was it wasn't military comms but it was comms yeah I didn't set out in my career to be in tech but I just kind of fell into it yeah Um, they also had the mobile phone division when orbital were actually quite cool mobiles so I think yeah whilst I wasn't in that bit I thought well this might be quite a good company you know look at those great big mobiles I could be walking around with (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, so that, that kind of, again, I was working with, in an international team, so looking yeah. after sales and marketing, again, very male-dominated, mm-hmm. um, didn't get to do the travel there, um, and then they got taken over by Ericsson. Okay. So I didn't I naturally decide to leave there because I was actually having quite a good time, and again, I had a really supportive boss. Um, yeah. So I've been really lucky to have really good male bosses. Mm. And um, did was there any a point at um any point at which there was an expectation or a belief that you 
ought to have gone to uni or, or, or were you working around people that had had a different route into the industry than you did? I don't think people even talked about education. I think mm. tech is a bit more chilled out. You know, I think if you're an accountant or a lawyer, you know, that prescribed a doctor, yeah. an architect. But I think people from varying backgrounds, I mean, some of the best salespeople come from disadvantaged backgrounds. Mm. But there were people that had come from. So I've never found not going to university has held me back. No. Maybe in that, maybe it's that's lack of ambition. I never wanted to go for that senior management role that needed the, but no okay and you spent quite a bit of time you know, employed by yeah. other companies but the the kind of you know most recent chunk of your career or where you've really established yourself is very entrepreneurial um, so I'm really interested to know how you've gone from being an employee to setting up something of your own so I think I eventually ended up in recruitment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, apologies for that. I loved I recruitment. I could let you. I loved it. <laughs> I really loved it, but I hated the practice of recruitment. So I could okay. see that done well, it was a good thing. Yeah. Um, so I think I then got together with Matt, who also was from recruitment, and we decided that we would actually just do our own thing and we'd sleep at night. And also we kind of wanted to work slightly less hours because we wanted to, our son was just starting secondary school yeah and actually I found he needed more time secondary school yeah. in terms of kind of attending those football matches that were after school and all those things so mm. it was almost like a lifestyle but actually some freedom and being able to yeah. pick the clients you wanted to work with work on the projects you wanted to work with do yeah. recruitment properly so I don't think we ever set out say yeah we're entrepreneurs and we're going to set up this business it just kind of happened um and I think since then kind of recruitment was great but I'd kind of done it I think I'd had enough of doing I think a lot of our clients ended up being bought by large companies and I've never wanted to work with large companies yeah so um I had to kind of think what do I want to be when I grow up I ended up Mm. opening up a co-working space in Green Park and I yeah. never decided to have a co-working space, but got offered. I was actually looking for a property in the town centre to try and find startups in the Thames Valley. So it was going to be yeah. shopper startup. And it went from having a little shop front to having nearly 5,000 square foot on Green Park and being given this space to kind of pop up. Yeah. Um, and just, um, I guess, to come back to a couple of points there. So at a time when, and I, my first proper job was in recruitment, I worked for Reed, you yeah. know, at a time when the recruitment agencies were big, you know, you had a deco, Alfred Marks, wasn't it? Yeah, but yeah. there were lots of very big high street recruiters. And you said, oh, I'm going to set up an agency. This is quite disruptive behaviour, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> I think again, I had one of the, the first company I went to recruit with. I had a really, really good boss who showed me that, um, how it could be done properly. Unfortunately, it was then taken over by a bigger company who then put all the process in. So I think I wanted to go back to that, actually do it properly. We were very niche. You know, I love recruiting sales and marketing people. We decided we work with North American companies, beach heading into Europe. Right. And rolling out European sales teams. So actually every candidate we placed, we took out to dinner. So we were going to Paris and Madrid. <laughs> so actually it was a nice lifestyle. 
yes that is recruitment done properly <laughs> yeah. yeah I think like I said it was a kind of so we could travel we could have a yeah. life we could love doing what we're doing work with yeah. really innovative entrepreneurial companies and maybe that's yeah. where my actually seeing how different that they behave has inspired me to go on and do things right okay um and when you were looking at placing candidates or you know searching for candidates yeah. this ties into you know what the past podcast is about what was it that you looked for so let's say a client came to you and said I, I need three salespeople. How, how would you approach that um so the people we were working with didn't really want people from corporates so that was fairly easy although actually one of my hires was actually placing someone from a corporate um one of my is a client that didn't like people from corporates or brown shoes and this was someone in a corporate with brown shoes so that's yeah. the biggest one um more track records you know have they worked in the right companies what's their attitude like never looked at education you know sales and marketing never ever looked at education yeah it was more about kind of attitude and mindset um yeah we headhunted everybody yeah okay and um how do you measure that when you're looking at attitude what is it that you're saying yeah that's a good sign that stands out for me it's really hard because I think it's intuition over what over a while you do have that sort of intuition the other thing is we would ring people at varying times they weren't expecting us to see how they behaved yeah I think there's just lots of you know it's much easier now in the digital world to go and kind of stalk people so you, you do you do become that kind of actually super stalker looking at people's backgrounds yeah um, research super researcher <laughs> yeah I mean CVs I used to discount in, in fact I'd say right. to most of our clients don't even bother reading the CV because if we've met you know I think we interviewed everyone face to face or yeah. um, it was harder with the European but I think we just went through a rigorous process to know and you, you've put tests in place yeah yeah that's that's really interesting it's really interesting to know because for me I'm sort of thinking about how our education system it teaches us mm-hmm. about the world of work um, and then what it's actually like when we get out there. So it's great to hear when, you know, organisations and someone I interviewed the other day said, she looks at the personal statement. It's the, the, the kind of education thing is not what's top of her list. Yeah. Um, so you did recruitment and you did it well and you had some lovely dinners. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you've got 5,000 square foot um, that, that you're running on Green Park. <laughs> And I suppose um, that was disruptive again, that I was yeah. really tired of the Thames Valley being pale, mel and stale. It was a yeah. time when Tech Nation were, you know, Shoreditch was everything. Yeah. And Tech Nation did the first Tech Nation report and were refusing to put Reading into it. So I kind of, <laughs> well, and, I, and my biggest regret is actually getting them to put Reading into it. Because I think Reading would have woken up had Tech Nation not put them in. Right. So, okay. um so yeah it was it was we were trying to find where were the innovative companies in the Thames Valley and by having a physical location yeah it was kind of right let's go out and find them yeah okay and um and and I guess for those people that don't know or or live in or near Reading um at the time you were doing that there were the the biggest software company in the companies in the world had headquarters in Reading (laughs) yeah Um, I think that's one of the challenges that they have headquarters here but they don't feel like they're attached to the Thames Valley it's almost uh, like they parachute in this building and then they don't engage in the local community 
Right. I think okay. that's something we're still trying to fix about Thames Valley doesn't collaborate and pay, play nicely. And I'm trying to kind of break down that old guard of actually we've got some really exciting tech clusters across the UK and we really need to get our act together and start playing nicely as a region. Yeah. And after Green Park then, so what happened from there? So I was running Digital Gun, which is my obviously my um, relaunches and restart courses. And we were doing a lot of events and also events like the Festival of Digital Disruption in the town centre. And Reading had nowhere. I mean, the town hall was great, but it was really expensive to try and run events mm -hmm. in. Um, and there was nowhere in the town centre to actually bring people together. So I realised Green Park was great, but actually we needed something right by the train station to bring speakers into because they mm -hmm. didn't want to make the extra 15 minute out to Green Park. Yeah. So um, Thames Valley Berkshire LEP had some funding that was skills capital funding that meant that we could then put a bid in, which actually we submitted on the last day of the Festival of Digital Disruption. So okay. literally, as you finished judging, we were writing the bid in the town hall right um to unlock some funding to actually get a building and, and do the building up mm. so thankfully our bid in partnership with reading council and reading ukcic was successful because as a limited company we couldn't land skills funding money okay yeah so then it was like oh great we've got all this money we've now got to find a building so the original building that we started working on was um derelict five mm. floors right by the train station that had pigeons living in the roof yeah, but we thought actually this would be quite cool. We can do it up. Yeah. Um, and then it turned out that building wasn't going to work. So we then had to turn a business model from we're not going to be paying any rent in this building to, oh, my God, we've got to pay town centre rents, rates, yeah. service charges. Um, and that's where we found it wants to be right by the train station. And we found the Pinnacle building, which is now the home to the Curious Lounge. So we opened it within six weeks in November 2019. Wow. Um, and D digital gum as a kind of a program or service offering what does that do so you said relaunches and yeah so it was a, an idea again a frustration i had that people weren't looking at people who had career gaps so yeah. um long-time carers mothers people who'd been ill and also young people who kind of were just going around in circles or didn't know kind of so, so one of my students um, got pregnant at 18, mm. wants to get a job to kind of look after her son, but couldn't quite get back into this sort of work thing. Mm. So I decided that we would teach people digital skills, not necessarily because they wanted to be in digital careers, but to give them the confidence to go out and even start the job search. Yeah. So I built the content from scratch because I thought if an idiot like me could learn it, I could <laughs> the content and mm. also I think people who are experts in their fields quite often don't understand the gap between someone who's terrified of everything yeah and actually using the technology so it's, it's very hands-on we work on a charity project every cohort mm. so the charity come and tell them what their challenges are what they want the team to do so everything they learn they're putting into practice and then the final week they pitch back to their charity right so this all feeds into as you said about engaging the community really all of the community yeah. so you're connecting with charities with people who want to enter the workforce who might not be able to seek employment or, you know might not even have the confidence to seek employment this is touching all parts of the Thames Valley community yeah and I think um 
it's been quite hard to read because if you're not on digital how do you reach these people so um, we've got a kickstart joining us next week he's going to be all about community engagement how do we go out and actually physically talk to people instead of just pushing out these social media campaigns so we are actually working with a wider group of people wow. you know, and age-wise digital gun my last cohort had from 18 to 62 on and it was awesome because they all bounce off each other and yeah. I, I think all too often so people get obsessed by neats and they just put neats people all together in one room it's like well what about I put them with other people yeah so gets inspired so that's why I quite like the diverse groups I don't want all just one age profile yeah so neats is not in education and training employment, employment or training. training yeah yeah okay um what have been your because there's loads for me where I'm thinking oh my goodness so you're applying for well it would have been more EU funding maybe at the it time was, uh, it was actually UK funding it was UK, UK government funding. funding yeah okay but but doing a, a bid of that significance all of these all of these things you know lots of people be terrified to it wouldn't even know where to start so how how did you pick up the skills to do that so I think in fairness, our partners did a lot of the, you know, they understand the bid writing. So we, okay. it was our concept and our vision. So I yeah. think we could articulate that, but they knew how to fill out the bid process. Cause actually I don't think you enter bids lighthearted. It's not something I think I'd ever want to do again. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think the smaller funding pots and around skills. Yes. But I think the big, um, you know, you've really got to want to do it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, not for me. <laughs> No, and 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 in that in that case, then what have you learned about sort of forming and building those partnerships? So you said you and, and Matt come up with these really innovative, disruptive ideas, but you are entering into a process that is that involves taking on buildings, writing bids, connecting with local authorities, which is not easy. What have you learned about building your network and creating partnerships? I think public and private partnerships can be quite challenging because I think it's like a dog and a cat talking to each other so I think <laughs> that is you know it's just it's completely different um, language I mean we were really lucky that we just got once the money came through the, the council we were kind of it was up to us to deliver it okay. so we could you know we, we work with local companies so we hustled really hard on the funding so I, mean, I think we delivered a £350,000 project with £265,000 in cash. So, you know, we were really create, we could be creative because we're a small company. So I think it, yeah. you know, it should work well together. You know, we did a lot of doing up vintage furniture. So Matt got tendonitis having taken staples out of um, G-plan chairs. Wow. Um, it was really rewarding working with a social enterprise who work with recovering drug addicts and alcoholics. So we've got a lot of wood bespoke pieces from them. We wow. did the sustainability piece and worked with a local office furniture company. So it was all pre-loved that we had recovered. Yeah. So we tried to kind of live that local, be sustainable. Um, I mean, we found that fit out actually, everyone that came in didn't get our vision because I think fit out companies, it's always the same. You need to buy their kind of how it looks. Yeah. So the fit out was really simple. It was just build us some training rooms and we'll do the rest of it. Okay. And um, so you and Matt live together, yeah. work together, pursue a vision together. What tips do you have for people that are, that are looking to create a 
<laughs> a a business or a or a, a, a partnership with their partner I think you have to have a shared vision I think you have to be completely different. I mean, I'm the lunatic that needs bringing back and not running off on crazy ideas. You know, Matt's the level-headed one. So I think you definitely have to have different skill sets. Um, I don't think we've quite reached the work-life balance with this project at the minute. I mean, COVID hasn't exactly helped with that, but we're trying to, you know, not work weekends. I think that's a big thing that I'm quite a workaholic. So I'm trying to wrestle myself back into don't do that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think if you love what you do, I mean, we genuinely are really, really passionate about the project. So prior yeah. to COVID, we were working from seven in the morning till 9.30 at night. Okay, we were a bit tired by the end of the week. But if you love what you do and you're building something and you yeah. have a shared goal, it kind of it isn't really like work. And, and what have been the sort of moments for you where you've gone, yes, like if you sort of look at the past I don't know well, look, look at what you've built with Curious Lounge and Digital Gum and are there moments when you've gone I can't believe we did that or achieved that? I think looking at the building uh, we're still really really proud of the design and, and just the I think particularly when we get the young people coming in who haven't been in that kind of environment and are really inspired so we've had kids come in and going oh my god I'm just you know so and so from the block I never thought I'd be in a building like this and I love it so I think we've got that balance right between being inspirational, but really welcoming and, and comfortable. So I think that always when we get young people in and quite often the first week, they're kind of looking at their feet. And then by the second or third week they're in, they're really engaging. So that is hugely rewarding. I mean, I love digital gum when they part, when they do their kind of end of end of the course and they do their pitch and the charities are blown away and they're all like, oh my God, we did this as a team. And yeah, so I think it's, it's the people it's seeing the positive outcomes and people moving forward is kind of the most exciting thing. And, and what sort of successes have your um, people had that have been through the programme? Um, so it's been, a, I, not everyone's gone on to get jobs, um, but I think the thing for me is, so people have gone on to get jobs and people still contact me now and say that changed my life. Actually, I didn't yeah. think people have set up businesses um, you know, some people come off the course and actually they're not ready to go job hunting. And I think even just going through the four week process to say, I'm not ready to leave the kids behind. I'm not mentally ready. But when I get a call a year later to say, can you give me a reference? Because actually I've gone out and got that job because of doing digital gum. Yeah. They all get a pencil case week one and a little goodie bag. And when they quite often say to me, they still have their pencil cases. And when they're having a bad day, they kind of remember. So I think it's, it's more about it changes people's mindsets and their belief in themselves so I think that's been the biggest achievement I I'd like to get more employers on board who are more open to employing people part-time I think Covid will be hugely positive for that once we get out the other side of it because yeah. I think people have realized that actually you can work flexibly you don't know need to go in the office all the time yeah and and are um any of the people that come through your program like do they ask you about your own experience of school and education um I think I share with them I mean I, our whole thing is we laugh or we learn so I'm really happy to admit all the stupid things I've done so I think yeah. I do talk about my background and you know we have people on the courses that have been through university we have people that haven't been through university yeah. um but and I think the one thing everyone learns is don't judge mm -hmm. everyone comes through different routes and everyone's got something to offer yeah and how about for your 
son has what you and Matt have built as that sort of shaped where he wants to take his career is he now out of education what's what, what was your so he was a bit like me and that's maybe because he lives with me but um, <laughs> I think he, he did really he did much better than I did at school you know he had yeah. really good grades but I just um it was an all boys school and I think he'd had enough of it yeah. So um, he was very creative and took the decision to go to Farnborough College and study um, design. But again, it was a weird age and he just, a year into it, he just wasn't enjoying it. So I was actually doing the digital gum. I was building the content and building the brand at the time. So he came to work for me as a digital apprentice for a year. So yeah. all the logo design and everything came from him, which is quite nice to have that as a sort of family legacy. Yeah. Um, but he just wasn't enjoying being... Um, in an office mm. so he then went and did a bit of a ski season because I thought actually that was good for him to go and do some of that and then came back and again didn't know what he wanted to be so he liked the idea of being outside so he did a bit of reefing he did a bit of landscaping it just he worked all the time but he didn't know what he wanted to do and then he fell into tree surgery and he absolutely loves it so he's outside he's really healthy he worked throughout the whole of Covid because he's a key worker yeah uh, He's mentally much better, you know, he's just in a stronger, healthier place, interested yeah. in trees. I think he'll end up in New Zealand probably because he wants to go and do big trees at some point. So, yeah, <laughs> really, we, really big trees. <laughs> so for us, our thing has always been with him. We don't really care what you do as long as you can pay your way and whatever that means. Yeah. So yeah. as long as you're happy and you've got enough money to do what you want to do, that for me is far more important than climbing a career ladder. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And it's quite, um, it's, it's sort of interesting to see how these things, I don't know, influence what you hope for for your children or whether your own experience ends up just becoming replayed through yeah. your kids. If there's something that you kind of pass on genetically, I do wonder that. With my two, I think, I wonder if they will feel the same about school um, as I did. Yeah, because um, we never had the conversation about university with Jack. I just he just didn't want to go down that route. So, and I suppose it didn't actually come to me as a conversation either. And do you think that that is something that is kind of that takes place in school? Do you think that conversation is had with I think young people? Lots of pressure to get people into sixth form because mm. then schools are still measured on university placements. So. When yeah. we were running um, Green Meets Grey, we tried to run some things with colleges and get schools into colleges, and they didn't mm. want to because colleges are competitors in terms of their sixth form people, which uh, I hadn't even hadn't entered my head until I did that. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I mean, for me, I I didn't because Jack didn't really know what he wanted to do it was just like why would you spend all that money going somewhere when you've got no idea what you want to study and then that could be just wasted money because I find so many people study something and then they realize they didn't want to do it yeah yeah I know uh, my husband saved it all up to do he did a degree I won't say how old he is might not like that um but yeah only recently only recently and did a maths degree just just, really? to, just to show that he could do it I mean you know he's like, just throw that one in just did a maths degree but yeah um but I think waiting until you have kind of found the thing that really you know floats your boat and then you think oh, I'm going to study that because I enjoy it I think uh, there's a lot to be said yeah 
I agree. And I think there's so much learning content out there now. And I think the whole lifelong learning thing is really important. Mm. But you can consume it in different ways. I mean, we've done book launches and people learn through reading a book or sitting with other people. So I think any route is now possible. And I think that's what we need to be educating more people that actually can go to university later. You can go back to college or you don't have to do any of it. Yeah. And what's next then? What is next for you? What do you sort of hope for? Uh, So we're working on the Festival of Digital Disruption. So that's um, 16, 24 year olds inspiring them about creative digital and tech careers. And actually the one good thing about COVID is I've seen I've now got an international speaker market I can go and talk to. Yeah. Um, So that's actually really quite exciting to do blended this year. Yeah, um, I sat in a room on my own last year, which wasn't huge. It was a good week, but it was quite lonely. So I'm yeah. looking forward to not doing that this year. Um, we've got a lot of interesting announcements coming out for the Curious Lounge around learning content, upskilling um, the community. Um, so that's really, really exciting. We've got lots of things we're working on. Um, getting back open properly. It still yeah. feels like we're in this sort of, nobody quite knows how to behave. So I'm looking forward to some sort of normality. Um, and I've got uh, six digital gum courses to run between now and November. Wow. Okay. And and then as a kind of uh, final thought, maybe um, when you talked about your speakers and, and learning from books, and one thing that I remember reading about you was saying that you really loved the concept of being more pirate (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and uh, I'd love to just sort of know how do you think people could embrace that mindset to kind of go after what they want I think it's not being afraid to question things so I think too many people just accept the status quo I think too many people challenge just for challenge sake I think if you genuinely believe in something and something needs fixing actually get off of your backside and go and have a conversation with someone and see what you can do and actually if it doesn't work it doesn't work I mean pirates didn't weren't always successful were they (laughs) and I think finding your crew you know actually people you want to hang out with and work with I think that for me surrounding yourself with people who inspire you is actually that's kind of the pirate thing isn't it working together great well that was brilliant. Thank you, Louise. You definitely inspire me. Um, so if people want to get involved with what you're up to or are interested to find out more, what's the best place to find you? Um, the curiouslounge.co.uk. Um, so we've got all our skills. We're looking to talk to employers. Um, yes, come and talk to the Curious Lounge. Brilliant. Thanks, Louise. Thank you. Thank you for listening to University Challenge with me, Tony Kent, and my special guest, Louise Clark. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a review on your favourite podcast platform, or even better, share this with somebody that you also think will enjoy it. Thank you for listening. The next episode will go live next week. I can't wait to share with you some more inspirational career stories.